bots have been around for a long time, and they're really handy, too, often being able to answer simple questions by submitting a special command that has some sort of prefix or identifier associated with them. I'm sure you get it. This is especially true if you're on Twitch and you want to know how long your favorite streamer has been online. Wait, no, okay, maybe that's not the most helpful thing in the world, but hey, what if we change the narrative to be all about operations and how talking to a bot with your peers watching you could actually uplevel your day-to-day enjoyment of IT? Howdy, I am Chris Wall. You can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter, and with me is my co-host who gives crisp high fives to those who kind of really don't want them, Ethan Banks at EC Banks on Twitter, and this is the Data Nuts Podcast. You can find this on all of our shows on iTunes, in your favorite podcatcher, or at packetpushers.net. Let's go right into it. This is a show all about chatbots. I think it's very fun to explore. I know that I don't have a whole lot of hands-on experience with them, but we have someone who does. Brandon Olin, welcome to the show. What is it you do? And let's get nerdy. Hi, my name is Brandon Olin. I'm a cloud enterprise architect for my day job, which just means I do Visio and PowerPoint. Yes. And uh, I develop <laughs> and contribute projects to the open source PowerShell community the rest of the time. Okay, good. Well, let's start by level setting on what a quote-unquote chatbot is for those listening to the show. I, I found like a wiki on it. You know, it's basically, hey, it's something you talk to that has artificial conversational entity ability. Like, who cares about that? But in your words, Brandon, what is a chatbot? I would say uh, the best way to describe a chatbot is some piece of code or program that responds to text in some type of chat application. And the bot will typically respond to commands entered and go perform some task or some launch some script or something and return the results back to the chat network. And that's, you know, that's a very simple concept. That's what a chatbot does. So garbage in, garbage out, right? Here, I need some stuff. Here's some stuff conversationally, I suppose. That's exactly right. (laughs) Well, now I've heard of chat bots generally, and I've also heard of chat ops as well. For a while, it was really trendy for vendors to show, hey, we've got this thing that hooks into Slack, and you can ask it questions and get information back about infrastructure. Well, when did we first see chat bots used for ops? You know, I would say chat bots used specifically for ops, and probably where the term chat ops came from was back in GitHub in 2013 or so. And they developed a an open source bot named Hubot, which is probably the most well-known out there. And it's probably the grandfather of all the other bots out there. To GitHub, they're they a highly distributed team, and a chat application was their common collaboration platform. And they were using that to execute day-to-day operational tasks. So they had Hubot go and run some type of deployment automation or gather monitoring data or do provisioning of infrastructure, you know, et cetera. And it really became a critical part of their their day-to-day workflow to get the job done at GitHub. The distributed team makes sense because I'd imagine if everyone's just sitting in the same like cubicle circle, there's not a huge need to like use a, a chat platform. But I was actually thinking about that. Like, okay, there's obviously some platform being used. Does that matter? Like I'm thinking IRC or Slack or like a Tinder chatbot. Like, you know, where where is the that you actually talk to this thing? Yeah, so typically it's going to be on some type of group chat platform. IRC, probably, you know, one of the, the earliest one, if not the earliest chat network out there. Slack is is a very popular one. HipChat, you know, some type of XMP thing, Gitter, et cetera, and even Microsoft Teams recently. Interesting. Is there is there some kind of common thread there, like some sort of API access that enables it? What's the driver to allow a chatbot to use one of those platforms? Yeah, I would say that the, the common thing that the, all these platforms have is a way for some type of application to hook into the, the stream of consciousness, which is in the chat network, and, and be able to see all these conversations and be able to hook in and, 
insert messages into the chat network interleaved between humans having a conversation. Yeah, so the use cases, I guess from an ops perspective, what would you say the typical use cases are? I can come up with some things, but I want to make sure I have the right idea. So I would say that some of the typical use cases for a chatbot is running day-to-day operational tasks to, to get your, your job done. So this could be things like you know deploying applications or getting status of, of tasks that are running, grabbing monitoring data, getting um, Active Directory user account information, getting information from services, tickets, or even closing them, anything like that where typically you could probably automate it fairly easily, you can then transport that automation and put it right into a, a chatbot. So it feels like a command and control method. So rather than going to a CLI and starting up a script, you could ask the chatbot to do that for you and then also have the chatbot update you on how things are going or or get back report information. Like if there's some variable or number out there that I know I could query by an API, I could just have the chatbot do that for me. That's exactly right. And you can kind of think of it as a another, it's a different version of a self-service portal. So, you know, typically a self-service portal, you, you click a button in a, in a website and it goes and runs some task. And that task is usually some type of script or, or something like that to go and do the job and return the results. A chatbot and chat ops is really the same concept. So are there, I mean, is there like a standard set of expectations, like common commands that if I'm stepping up and using a chatbot, I would anticipate that these commands are going to be there? Sure. So probably the most common set of commands in a, in a bot are going to be status, just getting the, the general status of the bot, help, or getting a list of commands available to the bot or what's available to me as a user of the bot. And then really from there, it's it's wide open about what type of applications and, and commands you write in your own personal chatbot to get your job done. You know what this reminds me of? This reminds me a lot of the text games I played as a kid, those Infocom games like Zork and stuff like that, where you could say, look, <laughs> and you'd see the room around you described in text, you know, before graphics and all of that. It, it is, I think that maybe would be another example of an early form of a chatbot. It knew a bunch of things. It could tell you a bunch of things about what was going on around you. And if you didn't know what to do next, you could ask it for help. Yeah, I'm sure if you look hard enough, there's going to be some text-based adventure plugin for Hubot out there. I'm sure someone had enough t- free time on their hands to create that and play Zork. That's all, like you, you log into the chatbot. It's like you are standing in an open field, and there's a there's a mailbox, you know, something like that. <laughs> you open the mailbox. There's a server. Oh, ooh, yeah, that's even better. So then it kind of begs the question. All right, we we get it. You're in. Let's just say you're in Slack, and there's a bot. But it's not magic. I mean, where where does the software for the chatbot run? Yeah, so typically a chatbot is just going to be running on some VM in your infrastructure or container even. Usually chatbots, are to make them useful, they're going to have to interact with your infrastructure in some way. So they need network connectivity to go do that. So, you know, typically, yeah, it's going to be on a VM or um, a container or some service that's uh, always on. You're not typically going to run chatbots on your laptop and have you know, unpredictable connectivity to your to your chat network. Interesting. Well, is there a use case for functions as a service here or, or serverless where the chatbot kind of sits in the background and then you fire up the query and it hits the FAS and then it comes to life and returns an answer? Yeah, and that's a typical scenario where you see a lot of these external and SaaS-based plugins to, to services like Slack. Those are typically triggers that you execute in the chat bot and they go and execute a function on that SaaS service and give you the results and give you like your calendar information or give you the status in 
Jira or something like that. So those are common. So maybe not running the chatbot as FAS itself, but using FAS, uh, calling a FAS function from the uh, the chatbot. Here's my thing. I don't know if that thinks it makes a huge amount of sense because obviously Slack is running as a service. So that's outside of your environment. I don't think you're running local Slack. And so make the network calls to just hook into the chat and, and do the chat-based stuff external. But I'd probably want all my, you know, do this, go talk to a server, go do things with that server. I'd probably want that to be within the data center, right? Or at least that could drive the architecture to run it as a VM because then it's, I know it's like core edge kind of discussion, but then it's at least a local asset that may have less issues with your security team or something like that, right? Oh, I mean, security. Am I totally off base or... Yeah, I mean, typically this chatbot, to make it most useful, it's going to be running with, you know, network connectivity to all of your infrastructure to make it really do what you want it to do. So you could probably host it or make it accessible externally, and then you got to tunnel those commands into your network, and then you got to jump through a bunch of security hoops to make that secure. Typically, these chatbots are going to be connecting into an external chat service like Slack, listening for things, but they themselves are on-prem and have access to your on-prem resources. Hmm. I guess you could still argue that if someone breaks into Slack and gets in there, they they then have access to talk to the bot, which I guess I'll just ask then, who, who's allowed to interact with the chat bot? Who can talk to the commands? How do you how do you kind of visualize the, the role-based access control or, or just like the user control over making sure that those that are... Someone can't just rogue enter my channel and start saying like, delete all the servers. Right. So typically, chatbots are going to have some type of role-based access control to do to protect against just that. You know, only certain users can run these commands, not just any Joe Smo who pops into the channel and can start provisioning AWS infrastructure or, think, or something like that. So you usually will, you know, lock down some of these commands and particularly commands that make changes to your environment. You definitely want to to make sure only authorized people are are running those. Well, I guess, how does that work? Is it based off the user that it sees within Slack as the example, and, and you're actually assigning permissions to the user? Or is it somehow checking back with Active Directory and looking at their group access? Or kind of walk me through how we make sure the right users get the right commands? That's uh, going to be dependent on the chat application. You know, Hubot has some plugins to to do some AD authentication. and But most of the time, these things are tied to your Slack ID or your chat ID or something like that, and then you authorize that ID to go execute the command. But, you know, at the end of the day, all these commands are doing is just executing scripts, and it's up to you if you want to do extra authentication within that command to go tie your Slack ID to an Active Directory user and map that to a group, and then only mm-hmm. authorize peoples of that group to execute that command. That type of workflow is totally up to you. You can get really as advanced as you want. So you're saying, like, within the code that it's executing, I can have it like as an additional check, you know, it, it says, okay, who's running this command or, or something in that nature. And if it's not the right person, you can kind of filter it at, at that layer. It's kind of interesting. You could kind of filter it to, does the bot accept the command and does the command execute based? I don't know. It's a, there seems like a lots of different options there. Yeah. There's lo- there's lots of different types of workflows you can do with that. And, and what I've done in the past is I have a command that is uber secure and, and only certain people can execute it. And, since it's so secure, I want to have, you know, the two people need to turn the keys to launch the missile type scenario where, yeah, I can execute the command and it goes into a pending state until another user authorizes that. So you have to have two people agree before that command is executed. You can you can do those types of workflows as well. Now, is are chatbots 
don't take this the wrong way, but are they a toy or are they actually solving problems and, and they're, they're, not, they're more than a novelty? They're actually very useful. They're very useful. You know, typically what, what chatbots are really designed to do is remove waste and inefficiency out of the system. They're all about getting tasks done as quickly and efficiently as possible. And there are a whole set of technical and cultural reasons why chat ops can benefit the organization. There's a bunch of social reasons, you know, such as sharing knowledge. People in a chat room can observe all the commands that are being executed and start learning how the environment operates. You have team empowerment, which is enabling other people or lesser skilled people or other groups to execute commands that they typically wouldn't have authorization to do. You have situational awareness, which is, you know, you have a group of people who are all aware of what's going on because they can see it all in one single view in a, in a chat application. You have, you know, obviously support for distributed teams. You have shortening feedback loops, cutting all the waste out of the, out of the system. In, in other words, we're already in that chat application. And so we're just making better use of the system that we're already in rather than going off, doing something on your own, in your own context, in your own screen. You've got that community effectively built around the operational tasks that are happening. That's exactly right. You know, what this really enables is a shared learning experience and, and making sure everyone's on the same page and everyone is learning how to do different tasks just by observing what's happening inside the chat network. I was just really grabbed by the idea of the efficiency that you could gain using a chatbot because almost everyone in your team is probably in Slack already. I live there. Of course, my team's remote, so it's kind of natural that we would use something like that. But I mean, that's every company I've been at. There's been some kind of a chat application. You're there. Everyone else is too. So rather than breaking out of that to go find some bit of information, have the chatbot do it. Do it right in the context of the room that you're in. I, I really think as we were kind of wrapping up the section and, and talking about this, Chris, that it, it is a real thing. It's actually a useful tool, not just a trivial novelty. It's uh, it, it's the real deal. What's that, what grabbed your attention? Oh, yeah. I could definitely tell that the real value prop of Chatbot is to be able to play Zork with your entire ops team watching. <laughs> uh, but no, I, just feeding onto your comment, I do feel like the magic of what made that entertaining, like think about it. If you were a child of the 70s or 80s, you probably played Zork and it, was, it felt very empowering to be able to go through and interact with something and get feedback. Now multiply that by the fact that you have the whole team or a part of the team is able to interact with troubleshooting or monitoring or getting status or whatever it is that you're working with in real time. And I think you kind of get the, the fun factor, like user experience is not something to ignore mixed with the actual value prop of being able to interact with your endpoints and your IT and your infrastructure within a chat program. So, Brandon, you've made your own chatbot here. So I want to know, what what was your driver to make your own chatbot? I mean, was there not something out there that you liked or nothing that just worked for you? It was kind of like, eh, I want to see if I can do it, you know, that that kind of a thing? It was, you know, it was a little bit of all of that. So I have some experience with Hubot, and we've had great success with Hubot at my company. But, you know, I was on paternity leave almost a year and a half ago, and I was had some free time at home, and I really just wanted a new project to work on. And I was like, well, let's try building a chatbot in PowerShell. I had some issues with how some of the other bot frameworks work. And I wanted to take some ideas from this one, you know, take some ideas of this one and drop this idea and kind of combine that and create, you know, a, a first class 
PowerShell experience for, for operators doing chat ops. Okay, and then PoshBot then, as in PowerShell bot. That's exactly right. I see what you or, did there. Or Posh Spice, which is <laughs> one of the arguably best members of Spice. Oh, wait, no. Is that... Am I off base? <laughs> no. Okay. That was a bad joke. So, Brandon, what I would like for you to do then is demystify this process. Because I understand I'm logging into Slack and I'm talking to this bot by executing commands that it tells me, like, hey, run this command. But I'm not sure I understand how that works. So, if you could walk us through how it sees a command, how it interprets it, what it's actually doing to process the command and return the value. That would be great. Sure. So so basically, PoshBot connects to a backend chat network like Slack and starts receiving messages in any of the channels that that, that bot happens to be a member of. And in terms of Slack, it connects to a, a WebSocket connection that Slack provides and starts receiving basically a stream of JSON messages. PoshBot receives those messages, parses them, you know, grabs the, the text part of that message, which is what you entered into Slack, the user information. It tokenizes it and kind of splits it apart. It determines what section of that message was a command that you entered versus potentially some parameters to that command. And it then compares that command or that plugin to any registered plugins are, that are in the bot. And if it finds a match and means, hey, I executed, you know, show status server XYZ, and there is a command registered in the bot that matches that, it will fire off a PowerShell job that runs that PowerShell script and captures the results, sends them back, and displays them back into Slack. So if I type like exclamation, you know, status, something like that, it's basically, it's reading the JSON and, and it has this kind of library of these are the things that I'm looking for it does a match and says, oh, well, exclamation status is something I'm watching for. And then it looks in its library and says, if I see that, you know, run this particular script, such as, you know, give me the CPU and memory or whatever of the bot. And it literally just runs it and captures whatever is responded to by the script and just throws that back in as a text message. Is that kind of the gist? That's exactly right. And you can even do more things than just displaying simple text back into the chat network. You could potentially you know, throw a, an image in there or upload, you know, an Excel file or something like that. Or you can you can send back rich content back into the network. And that sort of starts making these things even more powerful is you can say, give me the, the weekly sales report. And the bot goes and runs a command that goes and does that and pulls it from some API or some reporting application and packages it up as to a, a pretty Excel file and uploads that back to the network. And there you go. You have your, your data. It's almost like a data normalization engine. Um, or it's like a, it's like an equalizer. You know, you you put this guy in the middle. You and your fellow operators are on the one side, chatbots in the middle, and then on the back end are all these different things that it could go and find out for you. Ah, which actually brings me to a question. So, okay, so my chatbot's going to know certain things, and then there's going to be some new thing I want to be able to ask the chatbot about that it won't know about. So, how would I build a new command and then make that command available to people? Sure. So the, the great thing about PoshBot is that it's all based on PowerShell. So to a to an operator or a developer who wants to write commands, all you have to do is write PowerShell modules. And to any anyone who's working with PowerShell for any length of time knows how to create a function and put that function in a module and package it up. And that's exactly what you do for PoshBot commands because they are just functions within PowerShell modules. And you would follow your normal development process for PowerShell to write these 
so the, roughly the process is going to be then I write my module. Now I've got a, a command that I'm going to create that will call that module. That module is going to go out and perform whatever the function is, give the data back in some sort of normalized format, and then it's going to get passed back through. So it sounds like I could, well, it sounds like I could have it do anything that I really wanted. If there's a source of data, I could write a simple command and bring it on back. That's exactly right. If you can script it in PowerShell, you can have the bot execute it. It's it's really as simple as that. Could we make a command where like anytime I tell the bot to do something, it texts Ethan's phone and tells him that it's always the network's problem? I'm sure you can do that, and I bet you can do it in one line. <laughs> <laughs> or you could just keep it simple and use if this, then that, but you know. No, no, it has to be a chat bot so that everyone can see me ridicule you. And, and even you, you will see me do it in real time, and you could do it to yourself. Well, I mean, what I'm kind of poking out here is that I, I kind of understand that that's obviously not a real scenario, but Brandon, what are some concrete or, or examples in your world where Poshbot and potentially just any chatbot is enabling you to do work in a new way that you and the listeners can leverage that, you know, it's just, it's just not really possible in the way that we're doing ops today? Sure. So let me give you a pretty common example of what a chat ops workflow would be. So suppose you had a, a type of incident happen at work. Some server explodes and, and comes down and crashes and burns and everyone's hair is on fire and they, they go into the war room and discuss how to fix this. How you would deal with that situation in a chat ops workflow is, you know, you jump into like, let's say an active incident channel and everyone joins that and starts discussing what had happened. And you start just talking about what, what the problem is. Maybe someone in that channel executes a command to perform some type of smoke test on the application to get you know, a series of checks running to tell you, oh, well, CPU is fine, the disk is fine, these services are not working. Now you've determined the health of your application, and now you at least have a place to start looking. So you could also maybe run some commands to get some performance data out of that system. Hmm. Maybe you've developed a plugin that's specific to that application that includes a whole bunch of runbook-type scripts that you've developed over time. And one of them is, hey, when the services crash, I run this command and it will start them up in the appropriate order and life is well again. So it's it's kind of, it sounds like the real value there is that you're cutting the fat away from all of the the communication that's required to let everyone kind of above you and, and laterally to you know what's going on as you're trying to do the troubleshooting. It's like, did you try that? Well, yeah, it's right here. You can watch me doing it. Here's the output. They can scroll back to the log. It's not 10 people on individual computers all trying to troubleshoot with a, a pair of headphones on and then telling each other what they're doing. They're literally watching what's going on. Right. And that, that whole conversation flow is captured in a chat log. And you can use that in, you know, in a postmortem or a retrospective to see how you handle that situation and find where you can improve it. And like you said, it cuts all that waste out of the system. You know, there's nothing worse than having an incident and having a bunch of email threads bouncing back and forth and, you know, maybe you get included on a fifth of them. And so you don't get the full picture and people are coming and going out of these. And then you got managers behind you tapping your shoulder, asking for status. All of that can get stripped away once you're all working in a common platform. It does imply that the chatbot's been made quite powerful, though, that, well, to go back to our troubleshooting scenario, that you've got the commands at your disposal to do the kind of troubleshooting that you'd need. That's right. You know, you, you do have to do quite a bit of automation in the bot to make it useful into your environment. 
and give it the appropriate rights to do those commands. And there are there are methods you can use to have that bot really by itself have no access, but you've written your commands in a way that maybe they pull credentials from a, a credential vault of some sort, and they only have the rights to do exactly what that command needs. Are there use cases with chatbots where, okay, so I, I live in a world of network infrastructure, which uh, very often is governed by the command line. Could you write a, a fairly generic, you've already kind of answered this question. You said if you can do it in a PowerShell script, you can, you can do it. So, so I suppose you could have a command that just says, hey, go out to the command line of this device, execute this command, and whatever gets dumped on the screen, bring it back and, and throw it into the Slack channel. I suppose you could do something like that. You could totally do something like that and maybe have it, you know, you can execute a little bit of freeform text and your command will capture that and log into the switch and run those commands and send you the, the results hmm. back. Yeah, and I imagine you could you could make it open-ended too. Like it's a command where you, you know, talk to a server and do exactly what I type here and respond back. Like it doesn't have to be a well-formed command with proper parameters and whatnot. You could, I'm imagining, right, Brandon, you can make an open-ended command that you can just feed other commands into that the onion keeps getting deeper and deeper layers. But so you could do that if you want. There's a, certainly a danger of, you know, script yeah. injection in that kind of scenario. So it's, it's really better to, to have your bot do, you know, exactly what you tell it to do. And that allows you to put guardrails against these commands and to prevent you from doing something, something stupid, like, <laughs> Oh, I, I I executed this command to create a VM, but I accidentally said a thousand VMs instead of ten. In your command, you can guard against those things. That's fair, or or maybe just lock it down so it's just it's literally like the D ring that it's like the ejector seat in case there's a, a you know pull in case of fire, break glass in case of fire. But yeah, okay, not the best idea. I get it. <laughs> Brandon, we were talking about troubleshooting a minute ago, which brings to mind what happens if the infrastructure that the chatbot is running on goes goes south? Is there a way you could I don't know run the chatbot in multiple places and have staple configuration mirrored between the two so that you can survive and keep the chatbot up and connected so you don't lose it as a resource when things are going wrong with the infrastructure. Yeah, you could totally build, you know, chatbots to work in that way. And um, especially for, for something like Poshbot, everything that you do in that environment is logged and stored in a, in a configuration directory. And you can, you can back up that directory and ship it off to a, a separate environment and have some automation ready to stand up the bot again if a data center explodes or something like that. So there is some stateful data that is stored, and you definitely want to protect that against those types of scenarios. Yeah, that'd be a bummer if uh, if you're trying to fix an issue and the chatbot is part of the infrastructure that, that goes boom. What about security concerns? Because I'm thinking, we obviously talked a little bit about role-based access control and permissions and whatnot, but just around Hey, you mentioned audit and logging. Where does that go? Who's looking at it? Is it is it being injected into like a Splunk or something? As well as protecting against user data being placed into the chatbot's storage or, or log, because everyone's you know hand waving and jazz hands and whatnot around GDPR and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so everything in Poshbot is logged. Everything. So, and you know, there's a general log that kind of shows you the status of the bot and the various steps that it goes through when it's executing commands. And then there's a separate, entirely separate log that is strictly the commands that have been executed, who executed them, what the output of those was. And you can ship that to, you know, something like Splunk or an Elk stack and keep those for long term and do some analysis on them. I think the 
idea of having a log of what was done to, let's say, triage an issue, that's really powerful. And I, I don't think it's, it doesn't get like the, this is sexy kind of, you know, feel to it. But it is because it feels like you have an issue. We can then go back after the fact. And it's a great way to go and check out what was done. You could perform tweaks and improvements on the workflow for the troubleshooting, or even just use it as a general teaching tool for how you fix the problem for junior members. And it lives forever. You can say, oh, how'd we fix this? Well, go back to the log six months ago. This is the issue. And here's exactly how it was taken care of versus being tribal knowledge in Chris's head. What about you, Ethan? Yeah, I, I just felt that the model, this chatbot model is a powerful way to normalize data and make it accessible to everybody in a way that is uh, that they're all used to. So, right, you get a great way for, for non-admins to get really useful information about what's going on in the infrastructure. And then I had this, this train of thought as we were chatting. Imagine non-humans, some other kind of a process that triggers an event via the chatbot, which then generates actionable data in the chat room immediately. Something happens, says something to the chatbot. The chatbot goes and runs a module, comes back with data, spits it into the Slack room. And now you've got this information in front of you that you as a human can look at and go, ooh, that just happened. And these are the critical things that the chatbot just told me about. Now you can go forth and do something. Kind of like automated automation. That just struck me as a really cool use case. So, Brandon, you've spent a fair bit of time going over Poshbot at various user groups, and I found a link that I'll put in the show notes on one in Portland. You know, just for those that haven't seen it or, or heard you present before, what is it you're talking about and what is it you're sharing? And also kind of as a bonus question, why are you so passionate about chatbots? Sure. So, yeah, like you said, I've, I've spoken in a, in a few user groups recently about what chat ops is and more specifically how to do chat ops with PowerShell. I was lucky enough to have that same discussion at the PowerShell and DevOps uh, summit in Bellevue just a few weeks ago. Really, you know, these types of discussions are really given like a 10, 15 minute, you know, overview of what the hell chat ops is because it's really quite a foreign concept to most ops people and um, really more IT people in general, unless you work at GitHub or Netflix or any of those unicorns. And what I, I spend time doing is going over that, what chat ops is and giving basically a demo of some of the use cases of Poshbot and trying to get these aha, these aha moments out of people. Now you've said PowerShell and that's what uh, Poshbot's written in, but are there specific tools that you're using to, to build it and work with the code for the project? It's a typical PowerShell workflow. So I, it's all open source on GitHub I use VS Code as my editor. I have, you know, Pester for tests. I have Script Analyzer and um, PlatyPS for for documentation and Saki for for build automation. And as a aside, I'm the current maintainer of the Saki project. That project has changed hands a number of times over the years, and I'm the the current Dread Pirate Roberts on that project. Yeah, just to clarify, Saki is spelled P-S-A-K-E, so it's like Saki with a P at the beginning. I like that. You, I think that you say platypus. I, I just say platypus. So that's uh, that's another that's another great module that's open source uh, out there for for those interested. And in. I think its role in life is it creates documentation out of user commands or the the help that's within uh, a module. Correct. Right. That platypus basically takes the the comment based help that you've written typically written in a PowerShell function and extracts it and puts it in Markdown and then is really kind of a helper module to build proper PowerShell documentation that ships with your module. Yeah, otherwise, I, I remember really loving when I found that because uh, the the help, if you just dump it out to like a text file or something, is pretty, pretty ugly. 
I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are at least consumers of GitHub, if not perhaps interested in building their own open source project and collaborating with others and whatnot. So is Poshbot, are you working with a team? Is it just yourself? And then kind of what's the plan there as far as adding contributors and, and kind of members within that team? Sure. So basically, Poshbot is written almost entirely by me. I've had some good feedback from some other PowerShell rock stars out in the, in the community, most notably Warren Frame, PS Cookie Monster on Twitter. Um, has given me a lot of great feedback and done some PRs and, and a whole bunch of feature requests. And really kind of, he pops in and says, oh, what would, you know, it'd be really cool if Poshbot does this. And I'm like, that is really cool. And then a couple of days later, <laughs> I said, okay, it's done. You don't just tell me like, it would be cool. Go code it. You know, like it's your problem now. Right. Well, sometimes I get excited. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Maybe he'll do a PR or someone else will do a PR. No, I'll just go do it myself. Yeah, that's fair. And then now that you've been working on this project for quite some time, do you have any key points or triumphs or, or even face palms that could help steer the way for those looking to kind of do something similar? Maybe not someone wants to create a, a chatbot, but they want to create their own open source project and put it on GitHub. And I'm assuming a lot of people are kind of like terrified by that a little bit. And just being able to offer some advice and some, some sad panda and some happy panda might be helpful. Sure. So, you know, my probably the first thing is just just do it. Just go and create a repo on GitHub. And it doesn't have to be perfect. You can put bad code out there. That's okay. But really, you want to just get used to that type of workflow and go to the PowerShell organization on GitHub and just look at all the cool projects that are out there and see if you know if something piques your interest that you want to go and contribute to. And, and maybe that's even just, you know, if, if you don't feel comfortable doing some hardcore C-sharp development on the PowerShell itself, maybe you just want to improve documentation. Maybe you found an error in their documentation or something that wasn't clear and you know how to how it works and you can do a, a simple PR to just improve documentation. That's people are always asking for for con- contributions like that. And just to, for those playing the at home game, PR is the pull request where you you locally make some changes and you kind of offer it out to the person running the project and say, hey, will you will you pull my changes into your project? Just want to make sure we got the acronym soup demystified there. <laughs> right. And I would also just say that, you know, if you use a project on GitHub or any, you know, somewhere else, give feedback to that person who's developing that. You know, personally, I always love when someone gives me good or bad feedback on a project. And that really lets me know that people are actually using this stuff. You know, that's oftentimes you can throw code out there and, you know, you have no clue if it was useful to people. Getting that feedback good or bad in the form of, of issues and, and pull requests and feature requests is really, really motivating. Brandon, you mentioned just do it. You'll get on out there, publish it in GitHub. Maybe the code's bad. Well, okay, that's going to happen to people, especially if they're new. They're going to make mistakes. Things aren't going to go well. So are there any recommendations you have of how to handle debugging, uh, just error handling generally, uh, exception handling, like, like rules of thumb you'd recommend, that kind of thing? You know, in terms of chat ops development and Poshbot particularly, it's you follow the normal PowerShell development process. And I really worked hard to make Poshbot as a native PowerShell experience as possible. So you can write a, a plugin and a command in Poshbot and test it in PowerShell console without chat ops or Slack in the mix at all. So you really just want to focus on doing the task that you want to do, write that code, publish it into a module, test it with Pester, test it with Script Analyzer, and learn how those common PowerShell development processes work, and then you know see how it works in the bot. 
what happens if you pass a command to the bot and it's not that the script it's calling is having an issue or an error or something like that, but the actual, there's some process where between receiving the command and executing it, that's where the error is. How does that surface up? It just, it feels from a high level somewhat difficult to debug an abstraction since you're not really seeing what the bot is doing until it runs the code and gives you the response. For that use case, I would look at the PoshBot log and because and there's quite a bit of verbose and debug logging that you can turn on ah, and really okay. see step-by-step, this is exactly what the bot is doing. This is the status of it. And, and hopefully in there you can pinpoint, oh, that's the problem is I mistyped this right here or you know I fat-fingered this or I threw an exception here. That log is, is pretty useful to to really drill down into exactly what's happening in the in the bot, and I I tried to make it pretty verbose, you know, if you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, so it's not black box where it's like error zero could not run. Have a nice day. <laughs> right, and and the nice thing about this all being a full PowerShell experience is that PoshBot executes these commands as PowerShell jobs, and it's aware of all the the verbose and error and warning streams that are that happen in PowerShell and exposes those back into the into you know the bot so if you run a command and it throws an exception poshbot notices that and actually surfaces that exception into slack so if you write a bad command you're going to see the error right there in the window so you're, you're deep into poshbot now you've been maintaining the project for a while if you could start all over again with the same experience and knowledge would you do anything differently i would come up with a better logo <laughs> oh man <laughs> you know, all I did was do a Google image search and I looked for robot images that had a Creative Commons license. And I was like, there you go. There's one right there. I'll pick that. So would, in all seriousness, you would, you'd make a better logo. Why? Just so it stands out better? Yeah, I want a cooler bot logo. <laughs> okay. Well, if you're out there and you got a cooler bot logo for Brandon, let him know. Yeah. In all seriousness, I would probably, if I had to go back and, and do a, a little bit over again, I would probably work harder to create like actual operational commands and modules and make them available on GitHub so people can, you know, download PoshBot and say, oh, look at all this these cool plugins and commands that directly relate to the work that I want to do. I'm going to go grab those. So the things that I've done is I, I wrote a plugin to to do Giphy or XKCD or Dilbert comics and stuff like that. And those are really just funny nonsense. Proof plugins, of concept, but, but not right. Not, not directly applicable to an ops kind of thing. Yeah. Right. That sounds pretty critical to me. I don't know about you guys, but you know, XKCD is no laughing matter. Yeah. yeah. Well, I like my daily Dilbert. So. <laughs> but I was happy to see that someone out there wrote a, a VMware plugin for PoshBot it's still early days on that one, but basically that you can snapshot and remove snapshots of VMs right from Slack. And I thought that was really cool. That's a that's a great example of, you know, a real world use case that you can do. Well, okay. There's no bots on the show today. We're all real humans, although the Turing test may tell otherwise later. But I think those listening, you have some reasons to go download a chat bot. Poshbot seems like a perfectly good place to start. Start interacting with it on Slack, and you've already got Dilbert and Giphy and things like that, so the bare necessities are covered. Brandon, I want to thank you for being on the show. And for those that want to reach out and ask a question or interact with PoshBot, where can they find you and the code? Sure. Thanks for having me. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at DevBlackOps, and you can find me on my blog at DevBlackOps.io, and you can find PoshBot at github.com slash PoshBotIO and the core PoshBot module is there and associated plugins that I've written, Dilbert and XKCD and all those critical services. 
And you can also find just my general PowerShell projects on GitHub at Dev Black Ops. Right on. Well, that's it for today's edition of the Data Nuts Podcast. If you're a social creature, and we know that you are, you can follow me at Chris Wall on Twitter. My blog is wallnetwork.com, and my delightful friend Ethan is at EC Banks on Twitter, and he's blogging at packetpushers.net. For more of our Data Notch shows about infrastructure engineering, do that familiar nosedive down the rabbit hole that is packetpushers.net. You'll find the Data Notch talking about containers, conferences, certification, hula hoops, moving to the cloud, full of stack engineering, storage architecture, and so much more. Until then, my friends, may your server lights blink, your chatbot be smart and sassy, and your cables be cleanly managed. Chatbot. <clears throat> wow, that's terrible. That was really bad. <laughs> Try it again. <laughs>